You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, Onyx is a digital mapping app that you download directly to your phone, mobile device, and you can even use it on your desktop. But what is great about it, the functionality here, is that you can drop waypoints and you can mark tree stand locations. You can mark trail camera locations, scrapes, rubs, bedding areas. You can document all that. So it's like a living journal of your properties that you hunt. Now, what's great about this, it can be used on a small scale, let's say like a 40 acre farm, or like we did on our mule deer hunt out west, this 33,000 acre uh, big chunk of public ground. It can allow you to document everything that you've seen on there as well, glassing points where the mule deer were coming in and out, and so much more. If you want to find out more about the functionality of Onyx, visit onyxmaps.com. And for first-time users, you can use the discount code NATION20 for 20% off. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, Chasing Bear. This is the part of the podcast where I usually say, I want to draw your attention to, and I point you to some reputable business. I'm not going to say that this time, but I am going to say, check out our new hats on at bear-hunting.com. We're coming out with a new flashy hat series, and we've got a hat that says Bear Grease, a hat that says Flashy Mule, and a hat that says Bear Dogs. So, really colorful hats. They're patch hats. They're uh, they're they're really cool. Check it out at bear-hunting.com in our store. Secondly, you'll hear me talk a little bit about BHA on this podcast. Uh, check out Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Organization. These guys are doing good stuff. I don't care what anybody says. We uh, On this podcast, I talk about how that 2,100, 2100 responses to the Florida bear hunting situation came in from backcountry hunters and anglers. Guys using their forum to send an email to the officials that was a form letter that said, we support bear hunting. And uh, so check out Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Lastly, this is another podcast where we, we're talking about uh, whitetail hunting up in Manitoba, Canada with Tom Ainsworth at Grandview Outfitting. I'm with my really good old-time friend, Chris Roberts. So we, 
we kind of reminisce a little bit and tell a couple of stories, one fun story in particular from our past, but we talk a ton about hunting with Tom. Check out Tom Ainsworth. Man, I'm shooting myself in the foot because if I go back, I'm sure there's going to be more people hunting up there, but Tom is the real deal when it comes to Canadian whitetail hunting. It's a lot more affordable than you think, so check out Grandview Outfitting. Call Tom Ainsworth. It's probably a lot more doable than you think for big Canadian whitetail. Okay, all right, Colby. We're starting the podcast now. Can Colby hear us? He's he's the he, Colby. Oh, Colby produces the podcast. So can he hear us right now? <laughs> I mean, he can't. <laughs> <laughs> he can't hear us right now. Oh, but when he listens to this, he'll hear oh. it. Okay. <laughs> Colby's omnipresent. <laughs> well, I was just like, this is amazing. <laughs> if Colby can hear us. Colby, can you hear us? Colby, can <laughs> you hear us? I was like, we can't get the headphones to work, but Colby can hear us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We are on our way back from Canada, and we just, we've been deer hunting up in Canada, and I've got my longtime friend, Chris Roberts, with me. Um, Chris, we've known each other since grade school. Yeah, I I was trying to think about that the other day. I think it's at least second grade. Well, I mean, you you started school at the school I went to went yeah. in kindergarten, right? Yeah, you were. Yeah, so you were a year older. Than I me, was a so. year older than you, so I mean, we would have known each other. I, but my first memories of us being friends were maybe not real good friends, but pretty good playground friends. Um, were in uh, in grade school. Yeah, I went over to your house in grade school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. First things first, Chris. We're gonna. On this pod, uh, podcast, we're going to talk about your deer hunt in Manitoba, Canada. We're going to talk about that. All right. But we're also going to talk about some other stuff. And there's a few just like housekeeping things that we got to get going, okay? Fire. First thing is, I just got a text from one of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers members down in Florida, uh-huh. uh, Jim Hasley. And so right now, they're revamping and taking public input for the bear management program for florida so in i want to say 2016 it could have been 15 there was a bear hunt institute in florida which was the first one in a long time because the bears are growing numbers are strong and they did that they did a 300 bear quota and they met the quota in a very short period of time but because florida has such an urban population and just it kind of is the way it is. They protested it big time, right? And because of political political influence, basically the game and fish kind of backed off of the bear hunt and said they were going to close it down for a certain period of time till they could do some study on it to see what um, you know how they were going to go forward managing it. Which basically it was a political move by them to not get pounded by the anti hunters. So right now they're taking a a public period of comment for just people to write in to the government. Well, Jim told me that there have been 3,200 responses. This is what the Fish and Wildlife told BHA guys, and 2,100 of those responses have been from BHA members, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers members. Wow, that's awesome. And so right now, on uh, there's a link on the Bear Hunting Magazine 
uh, Facebook page, but there'd be links in other places. But basically, backcountry hunters and anglers, they're good at organizing people. So you can go in through their portal and basically send an email to the wildlife officials with a statement about how we believe that these bears should be managed by regulated hunting, scientific-based wildlife management, you know, through hunting. It's a positive thing. And so anyway, we're doing good down there, but we need to pound them some more. Let me ask you a question. Does it matter if you live in Florida or not? Apparently not, because I submitted a public comment, huh. and, it, and it went through. Well, and that makes sense, because Florida is really big on, especially with their fishing, to you know, because they, they did actually public comments with, like, shark fishing. Okay. And, and shore fishing with that, and because uh, I had a buddy who was going to go to that, and so that actually makes a lot of sense. So it, they do a lot of, uh, uh, you know, people coming from out of states fishing. So yeah, it, I don't know how much they promote that with hunting, but I could see uh, they're yeah. kind of set up for that. Yeah. So we're doing good. We're doing good, but we need to we need to keep pounding them. So we'll put we'll put a link. Um, on this web page, on the on our, on our podcast notes, where people can go and easily, so you don't have to put in your information. Uh, maybe you do have to put in your email, but you, you, it's easy to do. That's point number one. Okay, now on to business at hand, Chris. Okay, we've been road tripping for. By the end of this thing, it's going to be like uh, thirty-six hours together. Okay, <laughs> and so. Uh, the other day on the radio, or well, on your playlist, came up this song called D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper. Tell me what you know about D.B. Cooper. Tell me the story of D.B. Cooper. I'll do my best. Um, and so I, I, and I, and I, well, and first off, too, I mean, this is, we were just talking about this, you know, I've, I've been, you know, trying to stay up with Clay as long as I can, and you know, he mentioned he had a podcast and he sends me all of his videos and stuff. And I was like, and I love podcasts. I was like, you have a podcast? <laughs> and I had no so idea. So right before this podcast, Chris yeah. realized that I had a podcast. Yeah. And, and, and so. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks, bro. No, it, 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 I mean, he sends me his videos and, and all this. And yeah, if I had known he had a <laughs> podcast, I would have. That would. So you it, only listen to the stuff that I send you? Well, I didn't know. How would I have known you had a podcast? I don't Google Clay Newcomb. Oh, you don't? I'm not. No, I mean that would be weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast, brother. Well, thank you. And now, now you're going to get a few more subscribers. Um, but anyway, <laughs> and I'm glad you you like this story. My my girlfriend wasn't as interested. I love her to death. But anyway, so it um, this sto- I found out about this story, and I was telling you is um, unsolved mysteries. That was a show I used okay. to watch. Uh, oh wow! As, as a kid, we're, we're taking it way back. Yeah, I mean, I, to I, the late yeah, '80s, I, early '90s. Yeah, I mean, I, the 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 host of that, I believe his name was like Robert Stack. And I apologize for anyone if if I'm not getting the correct version of this, but I'll do as best as I can. So this facts th- don't really matter on this podcast. <laughs> okay, good. So this gentleman, as best as I can remember, he 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 hijacks a plane. Um, and he, I, I want to say he hijacked it in, in Seattle. Somewhere in the Northwest. Correct. Um, and you told he, me this story the other day, like you were the authority on D.B. Cooper. Well, he, he, and that's what I expect. And so he, well, so he writes this ransom. So he, 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 he goes to the stewardess and he hands her her letter. 
And he asked for 200, he says, I have a bomb. And he asked for $200,000, which this was in the seventies. So this, that was a lot of money back then. Yeah. And he signed it DB Cooper. And he also said he wanted, I, I don't remember how many parachutes, but at least two parachutes, two parachutes. Yeah. And, um, and so anyway, they, they, the FBI actually gives him the money. They, they, they marked the bills. So he, he hijacked the plane somehow on the ground. And they, they they gave him the money, and they gave him the parachutes. Right. I don't know if they landed in Seattle from, like, Portland or anywhere. Okay, so or maybe some, he hijacked them in the air. Right. It, landed or, the plane. Or, right. Or it might have been as they're taking off. Okay. Um, but anyway, and so they give him the money and the parachutes, and he, he keeps the stewardess on there and the pilots. And and they know that he knew enough about it to to fly the plane or knew enough about planes to know that this type of plane that you could fly it with the ladder down okay and he 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 asked the pilot to take off with the the i guess ladder the steps down Mm. and they wouldn't do it Mm. and so uh they they take off and they get up at a certain altitude and all of a sudden the pilot realizes that he's lowered the steps Mm. And is this plane full of people? No, he's let the people off. This was a <laughs> okay. This was a commercial flight, but yeah. it had people on it to begin with, right? And but they gave D, him the money. I guess DB had a soft heart or something. Well, it, no, they they gave him the money, so that was the deal. Yeah, you give me the money, I'll let the people go. Yeah, but he kept the pilot. Well, he, that, he well he was he was telling them he was flying down to somewhere towards Mexico, okay, or something. Right, and so he jumps. Sounds out. like a foolproof plan. Yeah, he jumps out, parachutes out. <laughs> well, the weather was not very cooperative for parachuting. Like, like according from what I remember, it's like very few people at this altitude in this weather would live through it. And so he jumps, and um, and so the FBI like searched for him for days and days, and never found him. They found so one of those parachutes, and this was not done intentionally, was actually a dummy parachute. Now, how could the FBI unintentionally give him a dummy parachute? It, it actually, the FBI didn't give it to him. It was the local, uh, uh, the local, it was uh, like the local local airport or yeah, something. Yeah, it was the local like training facility. And so they had a dummy. Yeah, they they parachute. got it. Well, and he grabbed it. He just grabbed it and didn't know. Oh yeah, okay. And, okay. and and so it was given on accident, and so they found that. Um, they found the dummy parachute, right? Like on the ground, right? Didn't find the original parachute, and then like a a year later or two years later, on the uh, whatever that one of the the major river is over by Portland, they found now none of those marked bills were ever spent. Really? Yeah, but they found some buried by one of those rivers over a kid was playing with his family and they fa- now it could have been just buried like they ended like they flew out because that's kind of over by that pathway and somehow they got right it, 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 but it, and so the fbi claims he died um it, but, but they never found db cooper never never found db cooper no wow so so i i you know i think he he made it uh, yeah, DB, if you're out there now. I think he would be pretty old right now. 
think he'd be in his 80s or so why this story is relevant is unclear at this time but we uh <laughs> it's a good song but we yeah so we were listening yeah. to that song road tripping yeah. to manitoba going up here to hunt but i was i was pretty uh i was pretty fascinated by that story i never heard of it so yeah search for the song db cooper yeah. the live version's a lot better live version db cooper um so Chris and I, Chris was always my buddy back in high school that was always ready to go. I mean, back in high school, you really weren't that serious of a hunter. I mean, you grew up hunting your dad. You, you hunted with your dad. Right. You were a big fisherman. Mm-hmm. You were you were probably, maybe, maybe not a better fisherman than me. <laughs> but, um, but you were always ready to go. So we, we coon hunted a lot. Right. We we did we probably fished more than we did anything, yeah. But we did we did coon hunt quite a bit. But there's one story that is kind of iconic that happened between us that we got to tell, and that's that's the story of the canoe. Yeah, I mean it. it kind of shaped our lives. It did, and we did a lot of stuff together. I always had a pretty tight curfew, but my mom, if I was going out with Clay. And I don't know why, but she would say you didn't have a curfew. She trusted me, Chris. She did. Well, no, I know why, but but she did. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, we, I mean, we, we did a lot of stuff together. I mean, we spent time, you know, going up on the mountain. That's our our local mountain, and yeah. And I mean, we, and so, you know, we grew up in a small town, and you know, there wasn't much to do except get in trouble or, or be outside. And Clay always liked being outside, and so any time I had to, but what he's talking about, do you want me to start that story? Yeah. So, so this is the way I remember it. I I was 19. You were 18. I was my first year in college, but I was coming home for whatever reason. And I think it was a Saturday and it was in the spring. That's what I remember. Early summer. And there was a, just a massive, uh, just a downpour, uh, you know, like a flash flood type situation. And, uh, you know, it probably rained three inches in a couple hours or something. So the, these little creeks had just swollen up. And my dad had an old canoe, just an old beat-up canoe that leaked. It was a fiberglass canoe with, like, an aluminum frame on the inside. And it had been uh, – he bought it from an old canoe outfitter somewhere on the Washita River down there. And it was just sitting at our house. And uh, I think we – yeah. I'm not sure if the canoe got the name. No, we had called it Old Glory. Okay. okay. Yeah, I can't we, we had duct taped the leaks on this canoe, and we had fished out of it, and we had also spray painted a shark's face <laughs> on the front See, of I it. See, I can remember when that happened. You're right. We yeah. spray painted that canoe. And, and the other thing is. We called this, it Old Glory. Yeah, and this creek that we had gone by, half-jokingly, we had always said when it flooded, we're going to canoe that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we ever intended to. Well, I remember I came home from college, yeah. and I called you, and I said, Chris, the creek is rolling. <laughs> and it, Because it was on my drive back to my parents' house, and you said, I'll be there in 30 minutes. Let's do it. And so you came to my house. We had one paddle. We a did not paddle. have a life jackets. No. And we used my dad's old, uh, he had a big hiking stick that we had carved out of a hickory. Yep. And he was mad at me for losing you, that. It's a good stick. It was a good stick. It was stupid for me to use it. But so we took that stick, a paddle, 
And we put in, and I told my mom, I, my, I told my mom, I said, Mom, I don't know where we're going to end up, <laughs> but we're going to call you when we get there, and you're going to come pick us up. And she agreed to this. I mean, this was before cell phones. And, yeah. we, were, I, we were just planning to take that canoe as far as we could or wanted to, and we were just going to walk up to somebody's house and say, can we use your phone Right. To call someone to come pick us up. And, and, I mean, was that not the plan? Yeah. That's and, the way I remember it. And I don't know how it is, and I don't know your, where your listeners are, but, you know, in Arkansas, where where we are, and a lot of places in the south, you know, when it rains and we get one to two inches in an hour, I mean, it floods. Yeah. And we yeah, get like those. flash floods. Yeah, we get those low water bridges, and so... I mean, these small creeks, is, and so it was, yeah, and so we were going, but, I mean, we thought we were going to be fine, and, and we had a leaky canoe named Old Glory that... Well, so so we put into the creek, mm-hmm. and we're going down the creek, and in the first hundred yards, we flip her over. And we Did, were able to stand in that. It was, but yeah, the creek was pretty small at that yeah. point. This creek ran into a bigger creek. That well, was fun. We we uh, we flipped the canoe in the bunch of brush that we got tangled in. And I just remember we just flipped it back over, dumped some of the water out, and we just kept going. The canoe is filling up with water. Like, it's probably 25% full of water when we hit, when Briar Creek meets Prairie Creek. And Prairie Creek was a big creek. And it got really wide, and it was kind of smooth. And we pulled over to the side and dumped out. And we thought, this is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I just remember when we, <clears throat> when the creek merged into the bigger creek, I mean, it was like... Oh, it was... <laughs> it, yeah. There were big waves, and it, the creek was probably 40, 50 yards wide, yeah. and just, just ran out muddy into the like yards. chocolate milk, yeah. ran out into the woods. Yeah. I mean, it was a straight-up flood, and here we are, and when we hit the big creek, I remember just thinking we were in the chips. Well... We, we ride for probably a quarter mile down the big creek, and it crosses a low-water bridge. And we cross this low-water bridge, and there's cars on either side of the low-water bridge. There's a two-ton dually backing up. It, yeah, there was a, a big truck that was not wanting to cross. I mean, there's no way they would have crossed. They would have for sure oh. washed down the stream if they would have crossed. <laughs> But there was there was people flag waving us down like don't do it don't do it and here we come. <laughs> I I thought they were waving at us like hi and so I waved to them <laughs> as we went across and I remember you could hear the <clears throat> so the water was so high above the bridge and the water was sucking down into the culverts like it wasn't a continuous flow so it was coming and you would just hear woof woof. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was it was just this this force. Yeah. But at that time, we still didn't know what we were getting we into. We were, we were. This truly was one of the most foolish things that I ever did, and it just shows the lack of awareness. And 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 we would have drowned if we would have swamped before the put bridge. Put the fear of God inside of me, and honestly, the the deep deep respect for fast moving water i still still have a respect for fast yes yeah and my kids have a respect for fast moving water because of this story so we we come across this low water bridge and i mean we're 
the water's roaring over this bridge. And when it when it crosses a bridge, the creek spreads out and like gets into the woods. Like so we're I mean, there's like big big trees coming up out of the water and we kind of miss miss our the middle of the channel and we get the canoe into the woods part. And I remember we T boned a tree and it flipped the canoe. And that's where I actually got got that scrape on my side was hitting that tree. Yeah. Because I got you by it. You didn't even have a paddle. No. Nope. You, you had a stick. Yeah. And so you were just pushing and whatever. And so I backed, back paddled and, and got you by it. And then it just hit my shoulder and I got a And know, it just dumped the canoe. Yeah. Right well, over. I was able to hold. So the canoe then is flipped over totally, but yeah. floating. I'm holding on to the canoe. The water's so deep, we can't touch the bottom. I remember coming up out of the water and thinking, where's Chris? And so I start looking around, and I cannot see you. And I'm looking over my left shoulder, holding on to the canoe with my right hand. And all of a sudden, I see Chris's wet head pop up out of the water. That's what I remember. And we were still, like, I was still not afraid. I immediately point. knew what was going. I immediately was scared. I, 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 I almost want to say you were like laughing. I think I'm serious. At that point, I still just thought this is not that big a deal. There was a cedar tree in underwater that I remember it hitting on my shins. Oh, really? Yeah, and and I had on like high top shoes, and I remember thinking, if my shoes get caught in this, I'm I'm. I'm gone, yeah. you know, because like, like I remember because it was, it was a, you know, it was, a, it was, and I remember seeing it the next day too, and so that cedar tree was hitting my shins, <laughs> and, and and I remember thinking, you know, and I didn't know, maybe I knew it was a cedar tree, I, I don't know, I just remember there was a tree hitting my, like I could feel it just scratching my shins, yeah, and, and I was, it, it, I was so scared my shoes were going to get caught up in it. Mm. And and I remember I, I honestly think I remember you kind of giggle or not giggling but laughing, and I remember thinking to myself like because and I think that was because you were still holding on to the canoe, I, I had no canoe and I remember just thinking I was a a baby, the amount of I mean it was like okay water do with me what you will yeah we we were out of control yeah we didn't know it well what happened was. As I look up in about 50 yards downstream, there is a giant dead oak tree that was had fallen down. It, like, I remember it being a really big log. It was huge. Yeah, like a huge tree had fallen down into the water. And I thought, well, when the canoe comes up against that tree, it's, it's just going to kind of pin up against the tree. I'll be able to climb up on the tree. So this tree, there's water going around it. There's water going under it. There's water going over it, but it's still on top of the water. And so, you know, it's, it's impeding the flow, but the, the river is on either side of this tree by a long shot. But so I'm just holding on the canoe and I think, well, when the canoe hits the tree, it'll stick. Well, when the canoe hit the tree, and now, by by this time, Chris, you had already been you beat no, me to the law. I was still behind you. Were you? Yeah, I was still behind you because I saw the I, I saw what happened. Yeah, I was still behind you. Well, the canoe basically got sucked under in a flash. It was this. <laughs> yeah, it canoe, was. It was a noise. I'll it was never like forget. a piece of trash. It was a noise. I'll never forget. Flushed down a toilet. Yeah, it just. Whoosh. 
that 14-foot canoe, aluminum frame, fiberglass, just absolutely disappeared. Was gone. And I'm holding on to that canoe. Yeah. And so I disappear. And I remember thinking, Clay's dead. And, I mean, that sounds like I'm being funny, but I remember thinking, well, Clay's dead, and I'm about to hit that too. So you were coming up against the log too, but you were out of the main yeah, current and, and, and that, that I was in. And that I was thinking about this on the way up here is because I just hit the where you went down, just hit it with my feet, and my arms hit the root base, and I grabbed onto that, and and then you were, I mean, you can tell that how you want, but I, I still can't believe how fast you made it up on that. But it, I don't know why I didn't get more of a pull on me. I guess it was like you were saying, it's just I didn't hit that main current. Yeah, I think you were just outside of it. You know, yeah. just being outside of it five or six feet. But yeah. I remember being sucked under the water and just water pressing down. I mean, it just felt like somebody was just pushing my head under the water. And for the first time ever in my life, and the only time since then, uh, I thought this is what it feels like to die. I really thought that. I thought this is what it feels like to drown. And it wasn't because I was sucking in water or something, or, or it wasn't even because it was that long. It was just because the force of the water, the canoe, I just thought this is how it ends. I, I had enough time to think about, and this sounds corny, but it is just true, is I had enough time to think somebody's going to call my mother and tell her that I'm dead. I thought that. Because mm. when we left, we told my mom, we're going to call you. Wow. And I had the time to think, someone will call my mother and tell her that I'm dead. Well, I, all I remember, and, and it was honestly, it was, it was just the grace of God. I remember reaching my arm up out of the water, and there was a limb or a root or something that I grabbed onto and was able to pull myself up out of it and crawl up on the log. I just know you made it out of the water very fast. Yeah. I mean, I was I was like... And you were still pinned up against the log down on the other side. Yeah, and and I, I remember later you questioned this, and I it, but and then you made me question <laughs> it. But there was, I swear, in that root bed, there was a water monster. A water, well, that's what you said, because yeah. when I popped up on the log, you said, there's a snake. Well, no, you were there's like, get up here. And I'm like, Clay, there's a water monster right here. Yeah, and so yeah. then you're, you're honestly pulled off a limb and is hitting the root bed and it, it it just slithered on into the root bed and so I had to climb over where it was yeah. and it didn't do anything but I remember I mean you're like okay and just went to work break it off branches and being on the root bed to scare yeah. it off yeah 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 I remember that so we got up there Chris on the root ball and do you remember what we did uh, I remember when we I think what you're talking about, it was before we got up on the root ball. It was after we got, I think it was after we climbed up a little bit, we prayed. Yes, we did. Yeah. We, we, so now we're safe on this log. Yeah. And we're trying to figure out how we're going to get out of this river. Yeah. And we were scared to death. I was. Uh, it was scared and, re- yeah, a little bit of scared and relieved. Because, I mean, if we had to, I think we could have sat there till it went. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... Well, I don't know. I, I, well, I, I remember we prayed. We no, prayed I do. I, on no, that log I remember this. We too. Yeah. just thanked God that we were alive. Because I, I, I've, I honestly have since then knock knock on wood. I, I've not felt that helpless. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, in, 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 in the power of water, that much force. Yeah. Um, well, it was uh, – well, and, and you still – you questioned me on this too. The limb we climbed out on. Right. It, the, that night we had, we had really high winds, and we went back to look at the canoe, and that limb had fallen. So what there, we did there is a, there was a big limb about as big around as a, I don't know, it's probably 14 inches, a big limb of this oak was hanging out over a piece of dry and it land. Was, it was dead. It was dead. And we inched our way out on that and dropped about 12 feet to the bank and, and walked out. And I'll give you props because you went first. Because you had to go over that, over the water. Yes. To get to land. Yes. And you went first and it held you and you dropped and I went second, and we dropped. And then the next day, we came back, and it was, it had broke off. And that so I swear that. What we did is we walked to the nearest house, which just happened to be somebody we knew. Ms. Do you remember? Miss Graves. Yeah. yeah. One well, of our old uh, school teachers. Yeah. And uh, we didn't call my mom, though. We called our other buddy to come pick us up. I don't remember why we did that. I may, but we called we called our buddy. But So that was an iconic story that really just taught me to have respect for for it was just stupid at least just, wear a pfd golly. Yeah. yeah it was just everything about it was stupid did you know that i had another significant water experience once in alaska i mean this has just been the last few years no uh, you, you, you don't I, listen to barony magazine podcast so you probably wouldn't know no but i i've had them come in the er man and they it's not pretty once while I was in Alaska uh, in a boat bear hunting, I had a I, me and the guide got clotheslined by a, a limb, a log that was hanging out over the water while we were riding up the lake, up the river. And it, it I was in the front of a 14 foot John boat with a jet motor. I was standing in the front of that boat with my back turned, looking back the way we'd come. So I wasn't looking in front of me. And, oh, man, those Alaskan rivers are littered with just logs and root balls, and they're treacherous. And uh, that tree just clotheslined me, and all I saw, all I know is I did two full flips in that boat, and I was back at the motor, 14-foot John boat. And I was, my head was by the motor of the John boat, and the guide was in the back, driving the john boat and when i come to he is in the water he's wearing waders and this is icy cold alaskan river and i see him bobbing up and down in the river and i grab the stick and just dive it into the bank wow you know just bam just crash it into the bank just to make it stop and he comes floating by me bobbing and he's wearing waders i mean so he's and, and the, the water was fast, but it was not deep. I mean, it was probably chest deep, but moving fast. And he was able to just kind of just roll his way to the bank. And, you know, he popped up 40 yards downstream. Wow. And uh, But he, all his, all our technology, well, his communication technology got messed up, getting wet and stuff. But, yeah, that was another thing. That put, that ruined that hunt for me. That was day seven of a 10-day hunt. And it just took the steam out of me. Just, I mean, yeah, it really did. It, it scared me, and yeah. I was just it, it. It actually, again, it put the fear of God in me. I mean, just have you seen those those really small life vests that are instantaneous inflatable? Huh? Yeah, you should look into those when you're up there with those. I mean, yeah. they're like 
they're like waist belts. Oh, okay. And you can just yeah, keep they wear them. them like fishing and like we'd wear them when we were sailing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they're pretty expensive, but I mean, they, they it's something like that. I would want one. Yeah. Well, hey, I didn't mention Chris Roberts. My buddy Chris Roberts is a medical doctor. Have you ever have you ever dealt with anybody in the ER uh, from any kind of uh, hunting related accident? Some uh, more fishing. You get a lot of fish hooks. Fish uh, hooks. Yeah, you're pretty good at taking fish hooks out. Yeah, I mean that's pretty <laughs> easy. The worst one I saw was a fish hook right in the middle of an eye. Ooh, really? Yeah. Did you was, have to take that out? No, that one was flown to a children's center. It really? Was, so was you a, looked at it and you just said. Take this guy I to said, surgery. I said, oh, no, yeah. How hey. old a person was it? Uh, he's teens. Really? Did Was it him or his brother? Or it who was hooked his him? brother. No way. Yeah, they hooked came him in right together, in the eye. Right in the middle of his eye. Mm, right through the yeah. like, the good part of the yeah. eye. Do you think he lost his sight? Probably. Did he really? Probably. What? Where, what? Well, you probably can't. Well, so a lot of fishing related act, no hunting related accidents. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I have. I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, a lot of times when it, I mean, literally, I mean, I work the job I do to take off a lot during hunting. Um, but uh, I mean, you, you do get, I mean, I have had some gunshot wounds, but those are usually hunting related. They're not, um, not hunting related. No. And you know, most of the, uh, you know, when would you think most of the knife wounds are? When most of the what? Most of the like knife knife wounds are like when people cut themselves with knives. I don't know. Christmas morning. Oh, is that right? Almost every every yeah, I've worked a lot of Christmases and kids will come in, opening presents and cut themselves yeah, with a knife. And so I, I get to have a little spill with them about <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. safety talk with Doctor Roberts. Yeah, saying hey kids, you know, be careful with them. But that's that's pretty common to see kids on Christmas morning. Wow, knife. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about your hunting, Chris. So, like, growing up, you were definitely exposed to hunting. I mean, your dad was a hunter, but you were not a big, serious hunter until later in, you know, probably when you were in your late 20s, maybe. Yeah, my dad really loved hunting, and he did a lot of actually bird hunting, uh, you know, before we lost the quail in Arkansas. Um, and then, you know, he was a forest ranger in Mississippi and so he he really loved turkey hunting and and was you know did a lot of deer hunting and and stuff and so when I when I was a kid I really loved hunting and wanted to hunt um and so uh my dad had kind of give up hunting just you know I mean it was kind of I don't know it it, it had gotten to be just it, you know it was I, you know, it just, it, it had gotten to be too busy for him. I, I don't know. It wasn't too busy. I don't know yeah. how to say it, but it was, you know. It, it, he, he just didn't pursue it real hard right. later in life. Right, later in life. And, and so he still loved fishing. And so, I mean, we fished, you know, in high school. We, we were either fishing or shooting basketballs. And so, yeah. um, so I really had, you know, kind of, I mean, he, he would take me hunting and, and we would go hunting, but I had to be very persistent. But on it, it wasn't until after you got out of med school that you started hunting a lot. Is that right? Until I started it? pushing it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, he, he didn't bow hunt a lot. And so I had to, you know, getting back with you was where I started bow hunting a lot. And then, you know, 
there are a lot of people in med school that that hunt a lot but for me it was it it would have been difficult and yeah. so in medical school i without being tuned into it it would have been hard for me to yeah to start that up well one of the one of the things that that was fun for me to see is that what year did you kill the buck we called gladiator uh 20 two, two, 2012 i think okay so 2012 chris contacts me and, and you'd lived in a different town than me i mean i hadn't seen you in probably five or six years to be honest it'd been a while if we had it just been hit and miss and and you said hey i'm coming to arkansas i want to come see you no, i still lived in arkansas okay well you were coming to northwest arkansas yeah yeah, yeah. and uh I, I don't remember how it happened but i said well we'll come up here and well, no, no, no. I gave, I let, I lent you my bow. Yeah, my well, we shot DXT. at your place. We shot, we shot at my house. You liked it. You said I'm wanting to get into bow hunting. And I said, well, hey, just take this bow, and just you know shoot it for a season. And if you like it, you can buy a bow. And so it was that Matthews DXT. Right. Well, season came around, and I said, well, why don't you come for the weekend, and we'll hunt. Right. And you'd never killed a deer with a bow. No. At that time. And I took you to a farm over there that I hunt a lot, and I said, Chris, shoot the first deer that you see. Do we have to tell this? Do we have to tell this? There's no shame in this. <laughs> we'll tell the short version. Right. I said, shoot the first deer that you see. Yeah. And what I'm learning is that if I tell something to Chris, he does it. I do. And the first deer he saw he shot. I did. And it was a small deer. Very small. <laughs> but I didn't, size we didn't of a, care. Size of it a was medium. A, it was a young doe. Medium dog. It was a <laughs> great, uh, it was great eating. Yeah. So there's no shame in that. I had to kind of talk him through that after yeah. I ribbed him a little bit. Yeah. But he, it was your first bow kill though. Yeah. You literally looked up. Well, I, yeah, I had two, two, two kills in one day. Man, that was a heck of a day. Yeah. So we, from there, after he killed that doe, well, we went hunting that afternoon over by my house, and uh, I was taking a buck pretty serious in a certain place, and and I I had another spot, and I put Chris there, and I said, hey, there was also a big buck in there, and I didn't want you shooting a doe and us going in there and kind of messing it up. So I said, I said, you killed a deer this morning. You got some meat. I said, I'm going to put you in this spot. And the on- didn't I say the only deer I want you to shoot is this this big buck? And well, there was there was a there was a call deer. Yeah, there or, was a call. We called it a call. It wasn't a call. I mean, it was just it we're was not it was a deer like that. But it was a it was a deer that that you know wasn't the most attractive deer. And then there was two smaller bucks that that you said I couldn't you know that that you wanted to wait till next year. And then there was gladiator. So in in this gladiator buck was a big 10 point with kickers yeah nice he was deer. no he was 11 okay yeah. well he was a 10 point with a kicker right right right, yeah. right so mainframe 10 with one kicker and to be honest i didn't think that deer was going to show up i didn't <laughs> think you had a chance in the world of seeing that deer <laughs> i know i i figured that afterwards and i wasn't trying to put you in a gar hole i was just being honest with you i mean i was like i'm gonna go hunt this i couldn't take people on this other property i was going to so i put you on a property that i could take people to and uh Man, I'll be dang if at like four o'clock I get a text from you. Well, we got poured on, pouring rain. Yeah, pouring rain. And and you say, Clay, I shot that big buck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, I think I shot that big buck. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And then, 
It, it was pouring rain when you shot it, and basically we didn't find it till the next day after I had to leave to go on a bear hunt. Spent hours looking and, for it. Because you it poured looked that for that night, deer for yeah. hours and hours by yourself because I had to leave. He found the buck. Was going to give up. I said, this is a true story, I said, and I am not exaggerating. I said, I am going to walk this one more time. And I, you know, I kind of, you know, I sat down and said, all right, you know, God, if you want me to find this buck, it's your will. And I said, and I, and I kind of sat down too. And I said, you know, I'm going to look at this and see where, where would I go if I was a deer, which was kind of corny, but it's, you know, I was going to walk that. And I said, I'm going to walk this in one more time and then I'm done. And I walked it warm. And this has never happened. I've tried this many a time before with looking for a deer, and it's never worked. I mean, I tried it, you know, I've tried it recently. But, and and walked it and walk it back where we had walked numerous times and looked over, and there he was. Yeah. And and, and I honestly did not think he was, I mean, it, it yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it was, it was a, perseverance it was you know it wasn't the best shot i mean it was a good shot take it he was you know it just it, you know i mean he was hit him a little back he was yeah yeah i hit him back but i mean it wasn't like i took a bad shot right he was, he was 20 broadside. Yards, yeah, broadside 20 yards i just second deer first yeah, was a new bow hunter bow yeah. yeah and uh well and that was a really awesome experience for, oh for for both of us and it kind of it kind of united us in a hunting sense because it was i mean that was a good deer for for where we're hunting and uh you know two deer in the same day and that kind of got you going bow hunting and since then you've done it all on your own quite a and bit you, yeah i mean you've you've chris has lived all in several different places in the country I can't talk you in to put me on one again over there but <laughs> yeah, you sure try <laughs> yeah. every year i send him a picture and he goes is that the deer you're gonna put me on yeah <laughs> um but that's why we went to Canada together. Right. What a perfect segue. Yeah. So we, we're we on our way back from Manitoba, Canada. And uh, so we've already done a podcast. We talked about uh, my hunt. But I want to talk about Chris's hunt because Chris learned a lot. Coming into this hunt, coming into Canada, uh, we, we talked a lot about judging deer. We talked about a lot about what to expect. And uh, why don't you just go ahead and start it off, Chris, just talking about your experience and kind of what happened. Well, first of all, I mean, I want to thank you again for taking me up here. And it, you know, it is, it's been an amazing experience. And, and, you know, and that's, and that's one thing too is, and and you did, you did bring up a good point is, is I did learn a lot. And I, you know, I did kill a, a deer that was not as big as a deer that I intended on killing, but I'm still you know you know happy with that deer but right you know it it it, the learning curve is pretty steep it is steep but but one thing you said is is i I learned a lot but you learn a lot by doing by hunting um and that's you know and that's one thing is is you know i wish that i had you know a long time ago been doing the stuff i now because you know you you just got to go out and do it and learn and 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 it's like, you know, with the muzzle loader and using that, it was my first time to use a muzzle loader because I'm so into bows. And it, you know, it's learning muzzle loaders. And now it's like, a, you know, and from using that and, and, and so much. But anyway, so with my hunt, um, 
you know, Clay had been talking a lot, and, and maybe you know he he had been emphasizing how these bucks can be difficult to judge, um, and they are. Um, and part of that, one of the things we're, we're looking for up here is, and, and this is one of the things that Tom, our, our outfitter, was talking about, was mass. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then, and so you're looking at that, but you're also looking at extremely large deer. Even body on deer. Body deer. Large body deer. Yeah. Even on two-year-old deer over 200 pounds. For sure. Yeah. And, and what you mean when you say mass is that, that is that's kind of like the thing that if a deer does not have good mass all the way out on the horn he's probably not a mature animal right here now in arkansas you can kill a spindly racked big buck that's probably a mature animal right um mass is a good indicator of age in most places uh but up here that's what these the duck mountains of southern manitoba has is mass right and um it's not necessarily known for world record scores, even though there's some incredible score in deer. And it's only we were hunting 60 miles from where Milo Hansen killed the world record. Right. So I mean, not to say that there's not giant deer up here, but but they're known for mass. Um, right. So carry on. And, and I just so, wanted to qualify what you said. Right. And so you know, my first day I went out and hunted and and did not see. It was kind of one of those spots, and that's hunting, and it was kind of. It was at a spot that is called the swamp and didn't see anything. Yeah, and you didn't see a deer the first no, day. No, no. Uh, which, I mean, I really wasn't that upset about because it, it was kind of, Tom had told me it's the spot where you don't see a lot, but a lot of times when you do, um, you know, it's it can be so a big th- one. So that spot, there's no food source or anything. It literally is just a swamp in between two thick bedding areas, open open swamp with big tall grass and where stuff. Where you're going to catch them crossing. And it was it was windy and cold. This whole hunt was cold. Yes. Um, And so uh, was it the next day that I was set up? The next morning. The The very next morning. Yeah, the next morning um, we went in and um, we uh, uh, went out on an alfalfa field. Yeah. And uh, you were hunting on the other alfalfa field, correct? Yeah, we were both on a – I was sitting on a – 90 acre alfalfa field right and you were sitting on about a 15 acre alfalfa field i think right it wasn't that even that big maybe it's eight acres but apparently they like my alfalfa field better yeah they seem to this time um but uh very quickly you know i opened up you know the 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 window i was in and uh, so we're sitting in these little huts tom calls them huts tom ainsworth just little little box blinds that are on the ground and we, you creep in there before daylight, get in there, and uh, what's crazy is these deer don't even hardly spook off the field. I mean, well, they don't. If you creep in there without light, you're not going to spook deer for right. the most part. Right, and, and to me, I mean, you know, I've done hunts that that are, you know, back in where I'm carrying in my tree stand and running and gunning, and I've done you know hunts on private land and i've done you know hunts on public land not as many as you and you know i love this just as much i mean this is it it had its own aspect of it i'm sitting out there in cold and yeah and you know and so i mean it's temperature that morning was three degrees yeah it was it was extremely cold three degrees Um, and so uh you know and so we're we're sitting out there and you know these 
some large does started coming out. Um, and then I quickly see a... Just as the sun starts to yeah, come up. Yeah, as the sun's coming up, and then I quickly see a buck. Um, and this was uh, an eight-point. And so then I, I, I got to start thinking, is this one of these deer we're talking about? Yeah. Um, and me and Clay had been talking about this as long... And then Tom had also get some input, and, and maybe this is where it went wrong, and... and and it's almost like we had emphasized it too much, and I, I think I'll have my take home on it. But one thing that Tom had said was, if if it's if it's racks out be, past his out ears. past his ears, and I remember hearing that. And these deer were out past two hundred yards, um, and so I'm looking at them, and and also too, and as you know, but you know for for your listeners is is these deer I've never seen deer over two hundred pounds. Yeah. And so these almost look like cows coming out. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to decide. And honestly, and as I told you, I didn't. I thought that this buck was not what we were looking for. You you thought he was not correct. Okay. I, I mean, I, I wasn't for sure. And and what we're looking for, we weren't. We there was never a score put on it. it you know, last year I killed a buck in Manitoba that it was 18 inches wide had five inch bases and good mass all the way up the antler 10 and a half inch g2s so i mean this big massive frame the buck weighed 248 pounds but it scored 134 inches and i think one of the coolest deers deer i've seen and i think one of the 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 best looking and and deer you've killed yeah and so i say that to say like we it, it People that just think about score, you're going to get thrown off. I mean, you know, it's not like, okay, Chris, go out and only shoot 150-inch buck today. Right. Like that, you would lose so many killer deer if right. you did that. And that's that seems to be the way a lot of people think, especially when they're hunting real big buck country. Right. You know, like if you're hunting Iowa or if you're hunting Canada. But, man, I'll tell you what, you'll pass a lot of awesome deer and the truth is that most deer don't score near as much as what people say they do. Right. I sent that picture of my buck last year, Chris, to people that knew better. And I wouldn't tell them what it scored, and they would text me back. And, I mean, maybe they were being nice, but they were like, man, that's got to be a 160-inch deer. I had knowledgeable people think that was a 160-inch deer. And that was a good picture. Right. You know what I mean? But, and I was like, no, nope, 134. And they were like, no way. But point being is that people, when your buddy says he killed a 150, he probably didn't. That's right. just the truth. Uh, so I say all that to say, when you talk about the deer, we were after a mature buck with good mass. And boy, Tom has some shed antlers and deadheads and pictures of some little deer that are probably 15 inches wide, but massive, mature four and a half, five and a half year old deer that just they weren't they, they what wouldn't did, score what did he good. call them well he called he called the deer with tight antlers bush bucks yeah and he called bucks with big wide antlers prairie bucks yeah but so you weren't looking for a 140 or 150 no, or 160 no, you I, were looking for a mature heavy antlered buck yeah i wanted a deer that like he called it coke cans and so i mean honestly yeah. and so i was trying to decide if this deer had mass and 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 right, and Tom wasn't trying to throw me off, but I mean, it just kind of confused me because I wanted something that gave me that concrete 
this is it. Right. You were, so, you were looking for the one thing. Yeah, that, which like, there if is. If the deer it, has I, that. Well, actually, I'll tell you what I think it is. Um, and so it, 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 Tom said, you know, if it's out past its ears, and he kind of, I mean, he probably threw in there, and it's a mature buck, but he, I just heard if it's out past its ears. Right. And so I watched this deer for a while, and then he, he chased a doe and ran off. And there was another one there who, who, you know, he wasn't out past his ears. It might have had more mass. I don't know. I mean, these deer were out pretty far and um, watched them for a while. And they had gone over the hill and they were feeding. And, and, and then, like I said, he had ran back in closer. And I saw he was clearly, as you saw, I mean, he was good, what, four inches past his ears? Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember thinking, well, you know, this deer's so big that his mass look you know i'd convinced right. i said this is what we're after yeah you know and so uh he uh um he ran away where i didn't have a shot and and the other one that was there i, I decided was not a buck that I, I just i mean he was an eight point that wasn't maybe out past his ears but he could have had that mass i couldn't tell and so, you know, I'm watching them, and then uh, they're out there feeding, and he's chasing around. Well, then this buck comes back over that hill. And so I pull the muzzle loader up, and he's right at 134 yards. And uh, go to shoot and misfire. And so the muzzle loader misfires. Correct. The cap. So we're using 409 primers. Shooting a 209 primer. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. 409 is the cleaner. Got it. 209 primers. You're using a CVA, what was it? Uh, Acura LR. Yeah, CVA Acura. LR, yeah. And uh, a good gun. Yeah. Misfires. The the primer goes off. The gun does not ignite. And You break the gun open. and, And put another primer in. Correct. Find the deer again pull the trigger pop yeah cap doesn't go off break the gun down and this is the first time i've ever hunted with a muzzle loader too yeah yeah break the gun down put another primer in put it on the deer and i don't know if i had was it three or four well i, I thought it misfired three times and you shot it on the fourth yeah that, uh, that's what i was going to say i'm pretty sure because i think so I had you did it primers. again yeah. pop yeah the deer don't move the deer aren't scared yeah they, they, they don't even look at it do yeah. they no and so wow. I did it again, and it and it goes, it misfires, and I and I didn't know that this was even a possibility. And so I goes like, well, I'm done because I had left my ramrod in the truck. I mean, this I was, you know, I was cooking with gas this day. I mean, <laughs> and, and so I, I, the way I remember it is I started to lift the gun. So I, and then the gun goes off. It was a delayed, yeah, delayed ignition, right? And which is like a nightmare had, for a muzzleloader, right? And the bucket actually moved to like 154 yards. I mean, I had compensated for that. Oh, really? So he was moving back. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, was actually angling away at that time, but uh, and so I, and so I thought there's no way I hit this deer. Yeah. Um, and went and looked for blood and looked for blood and looked for blood and did not find blood and thought there was no way I hit this deer. Yeah. And it uh, turns out I, I 
did actually hit that deer. We it's found. a long story, but we found the deer the next day. Yeah. We found the deer the next day, and uh, the deer had, I mean, been eaten to the bone by coyotes. Within a day. I mean, there was nothing left but horns and ears. And one eyeball. Yeah. So that that was... And he was not what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, and that's the I mean, moral I, I of mean, the he story. Was, you know, I mean, he, I don't want to take away. I mean, any buck is a, you know, I, I, yeah. I mean, I've, I'm proud of any deer I kill. I mean, but yeah. this is a trip where I was, you know, traveling looking for. Honestly, a, it was it was a it was a nice probably two year old deer for right. here. And, and you know, and, well, I, and the I fact I didn't was, get his meat bothers you. Know, oh I mean, yeah, yeah, you you said from the very beginning you were like, dude, I'm coming up here to kill a big buck right. for meat. I mean, you wanted big horns too, but right. I mean, I I brought my cooler to for me. Yeah, Heck I mean, yeah. I yeah. I mean, I make summer sausage. I make venison jerky. And, and I, the deer to give you the the deer was at least seventeen inches wide. Yeah, and uh, but you know, short tines, short brows, short threes. But in uh, in my take home on how you judge now. So that okay, that's where we're going now. Is what did you learn? So my so the next day I went out and sat in the same, uh, sat in the same uh, blind or, or whatever you want to call it hut, and um, actually saw one of the coolest things. Um, I, I've well actually that night I because I I thought I had, had missed the deer. Oh yeah, you. And so that night I sat uh, on the other um, on the alfalfa field that Clay had sat on, and as we're going to to um as as dusk is coming on i hear this what i I mean i thought it was bigfoot um (laughs) but it It was a buck roar yeah it was a buck roar it happened like four times and and I actually, if it would have just happened once, I would not have thought it. Do what it you 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 can you can try to uh, replicate it. It, it goes, <laughs> and it did it four times. Sounded just like that. But then it started a really really mature grunt. So you wouldn't have even known it was a deer, no, unless it followed up with this a normal bat. Yeah, it, bah, yeah, really bah, mature grunt, and bah. it's just cutting through these these woods in between yeah um uh these two alfalfa fields but i mean it, it like the first one i was like what the heck was i mean i mean i really don't believe in bigfoot but i might have if it had just happened once and yeah. um but it did it four times and i mean I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a roar um and then it was just grunting and i tried to record it on my phone but that didn't yeah. work yeah um but then the next morning, I was sitting in the, the blind where I thought I had missed that buck. And uh, I, I walked to it, and I, uh, we actually got in a little earlier that morning. Yeah. We kind of barely got in I mean, before yeah. the sun. And I opened you know, the windows in it, and I can just see these blobs out in the field. And, I, and they're huge blobs, and I can't make out what they are. And as the sun, and actually I thought I spooked a coyote beside me. It could have been a small deer. I don't know. Um, but uh, as the sun's coming up, I can, you know, I knew they were deer. 
Um, but as the sun's coming up, I can slowly make them out more and more. And then the one, these two to my left, I still I can't make out racks, but I can make out they're fighting. And I can you hear can see them, them pushing. Yeah. And you can hear their horns. Yeah, clacking. and I can hear them just you know just clacking. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I've never seen bucks fight. And and the light comes up, and I you know put my binos on them, and they're they're small bucks. And then to and I I mean I'm not making this up. It sounds like I am. And then forty you yards. You telling the truth, Chris? Forty yards from that two other bucks are feeding beside each other and it it's like they kind of looked at each other and they said hey let's fight just hey yeah. those guys are fighting let's yeah. fight too and so they started fighting and they were about the same size as the other two and so they're fighting and then 50 to 60 yards from that were these huge massive deer and and I couldn't make them out, and so I start looking at them, and I'm like, "Those are those are big deer." And then as the sun keeps coming up, I look up at them, and they start fighting. And so, so there's three sets of bucks fighting. Three sets of bucks fighting. How oh. many does are out there? Twelve. It, it was a rough guess. I mean, it. it yeah, I mean, probably twelve. I just remember when you talked to me, you said, there's 20 deer in front of me. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, and, and the, I remember <laughs> though, when I saw the two big bucks and this is my take home point is I looked at them and I, and I'm looking through the binos and I go, Oh, this is what they mean by mass. Mm. And it was, and so I think my take home is, is if you've hunted and you've seen decent deer, you know, good sized deer. And if you're questioning it, then it's probably not. And yeah. so, and, and if you see, you know, when you see Clay's deer on his video, and that's a gimme, but it's like, if it comes out and you're like, oh, that's what they mean. Yeah. Then you know. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, and, and I mean, it can be a seven or an eight point. And I mean, it's, I mean, if you're wanting a 150, you know, you're probably not going to get it from that, but <clears throat> to me, it's like, oh, that's what they want. Yeah. I mean, that's what they mean. Yeah. And, and it, it was just that easy. And so you've got this 8 and a 10 just out there. And, I mean, it's just just two deer that just are dwarfing everything else. Yeah. And Man, I wish I could have seen that with yeah, you. I, I wish, wish you could have filmed it. Yeah, I wish you could have got some. I mean, it's something I'll probably never see again. Well, maybe next year. Yeah. If I, but I'll probably be in that stand next year. <laughs> Maybe you know, I'll be in the one you've been in that you've <laughs> yeah. killed two in. I mean, <laughs> I'll take that. Oh, man. Well, you learned a ton. You learned a ton. And judging these deer, here, here's my synopsis on judging these deer, is that you first of all, you've got to make sure that you're looking at a mature animal. And right. I talked about a 10-point that I saw on the podcast we did with Tom where, you know, you can be looking at an immature animal, and his rack may look giant, but it's an immature body, and right. the deer's body characteristics are not, you know. And so if he's if he's out past his ears, but he's a two year old, you know, that then he's he's not going to be what you're after. But boy, if it's a fully mature buck with that big extended brisket, a huge neck, 
um, sagging back. I mean, up here you're truly looking for a mature deer. I mean, a five-year-old deer. And, um, boy, if he if he looks like he has any rack at all and he's got a body like that, he's a deer you probably want to shoot. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think also, too, and I think Tom would be okay with me saying this, though, but if you see that 10-point of that clay saw and you want to take that heck yeah tom's okay with that well and and you know and i would have probably just got that and been happy the the, the cool thing to me about this and and is any hunt any hunt i don't care what you're doing you've got to have goals and objectives i mean you you and that the goal and your objective may be to go there have fun and get some meat and if that is your goal and objective then shoot the first legal animal that you see. You can also go into hunt like we did, Chris, and like I did, and my goal was to get some amazing organic Manitoba protein and to kill a mature buck. I didn't, honestly, I didn't care if it was 130 inches or 160. I really didn't. Uh, it may be hard for you to believe that, but it's true. I would have shot a 130-inch heavy-racked buck like last year and been thrilled. And uh, I just was fortunate and killed one that was a lot bigger than that but uh but i had an objective my objective was to kill a mature deer and uh and so whatever you set your goal for you know you want to hit that target you don't want to well and that's what's fun about having goals and objectives inside of hunting well and i think there's nothing wrong with the fact too i mean it's you know i came we've drove you know we've put in a lot of time to come up here to manitoba you know and i you know, and I'm paying my hard-earned money to, to get a deer that I might not ever see in my lifetime. And, and, and you know, it actually bothers me more that I'm, I'm coming home without meat from my deer. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, it's okay, you know, if I'm coming up here and wanting to get a deer that I might not see in my lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you know, we talk about how those deer don't spook, but that's actually not completely true. You drive out on that field. The big bucks. And a big buck They're will different. run the second it sees you. And, and and so a doe won't, but, I mean, it's they're still not as, I mean, it's not like we're talking, you know, these things are walking. It's and, a tough hunt. Yeah. There, there, every hunt, there's, there's factors that play into the difficulty and challenge of it. And on this hunt, it's it's time in the stand. Boy, we just pounded it out, and just you just sit for long, long hours, and uh, and temperature. Right. You know, I mean, we were that morning that you shot your deer. It was three degrees. Yeah. And uh, and the high temperature that day was in the uh, like twenty degrees or twenty one right. or something. Well, and, and I'll low take teens, you know, or and, and upper I, teens. You know, and I think, and I think that, you know, and I think you, that you're going to give me some of that meat, and I'm going to go home and celebrate the life of that animal by, you know, cooking yep. summer sausage for. We're going to we're going to split the meat. Right by my for my family, Jeannie's family. Yeah. You know, and and deer jerky and and you know and boy uh, it is different than our arkansas deer i'll tell it? you what it really is well and, and i mean and, and there's nothing wrong with that and and you know people might say you know trophy hunting or whatnot but to me it's like man there's nothing to me you know it's it's you know coming you say you know goals and objectives and stuff and to have a goal up here and and to do I mean, that's this, why you come to canada i right. mean if you wanted to gather 200 pounds of meat to grind and make steaks out of we would have gone over to where i took you the first year when you killed that doe in washington county arkansas right i mean we could have done it but we drove up here um for for the 
for the getting to hunt a new landscape, the challenge of it, the excitement of it, the fun of it. And yeah, big bucks. I got zero. You know how much shame I've got for that? Look at my, my hand here. Zero. zero. Taking well, older mature animals, older mature animals out of the population is an honorable, good thing. Now, if all we were doing was cutting off the horns and telling the outfitter to keep the meat, I, I, that's not cool. But, and it, but whatever. Know, and, if you got to do does, that, you got to do it. Yeah. But. And, and that, you know, I wish I could get that meat. <laughs> Coyotes know. ate it, brother. I know. <laughs> well, and that, you know, they, 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 they need that too. It's cold up there. Well, hey, the good news is, Chris, is that good Lord willing, we're going to come back next year. Me and you. And uh, so, hey, let's talk about uh, our gear that we used for staying warm. Okay. I, I want to talk a little bit about it. So we were, we were hunting tree stand hunting temperatures that were, I think the coldest it got was three degrees. And the high temperatures were in the low 20s, upper teens, even mid-teens some days. And uh, so what I was wearing... I'm just going to start with what I was wearing. I wore two pair of, well, one pair of thin merino wool socks, and I put two sticky hot hands on my toes, one on top of my toes and one up on my leg, like kind of where my ankle. Yeah, where you told me the veins run down into the feet. Yeah, Well, there's a vein there too, but yeah. The arteries run down to the feet. And then I put a fairly heavy wool sock over that, and then I used a pair of Irish Setter 1,200 Thinsulate, 1,200 grains of Thinsulate, just regular old boot. I mean, I don't, somebody gave me those boots. That's the boots I wore. I wore the Merino wool First Light base layers uh, touching my skin. So everything touching skin was Merino wool, which was very important because... We were, at different times, we were sweating a little bit, riding in. Like, you had to get dressed. Like, the logistics of dressing are so crazy because you, you got to get dressed before you go. And so you're riding in a truck, and you are got to walk to the stand, but you're not carrying a bunch of stuff. We just weren't. We were dressing totally and then going in. We didn't have to walk far. Mm-hmm. But uh, And then, Chris... I wore my sawbuck pants, so I had the merino wool base layer, sawbuck pants, my puffy pants, my uncompagre puffy first light pants, and then the sanctuary bibs. That's what I had on bottom, four or five layers there, okay? On top, I wore the merino wool base layer. I wore one of the first light uh, Klamath uh, hooded little fleece sweater. Mm-hmm. Then I wore a Uncompagre puffy vest. Then I wore a Cirrus puffy vest. And then I wore the Sanctuary jacket. That's what I wore. And, uh, and I, I would take at least three to four hot hands every single sit. You were a hot I, hand addict. We, oh, man. We were, we were wearing them out. I would put a hot hand in the left front pocket of my Klamath hoodie. There's a little zipper right over here. I, I, I kind of felt like it was right over my heart, so maybe it was warm on <laughs> my whole body. I would put that there. I would have two for my hands that would keep in the front pockets of that sanctuary jacket. And, uh, and then I would put one on the kind of the back of my neck, kind of where your neck meets your back. That's and smart. then I, so those are my four hot hands. 
and then I would wear at least two of the merino wool beanies and then a brimmed orange beanie because you had to wear orange. So I wore three layers on the top. And usually I would have the hood of that sanctuary up over my head and zip it up. My my glasses would fog up and my beard was getting caught in the zipper. But other than that, it worked pretty good when I zipped it all the way up. That was what I wore. What did you wear? Um, so I... So I, I have to wear like a synthetic, and you're gonna have to help me with some of the names. So I, but I wear like a, I have to wear synthetic under my wool because I. So you don't the wool wool on skin with you doesn't work. It, it not unless I, I have used the the arrow wool. Is that what it's called? Okay, yeah, the the synthetic mix in with the merino yeah, wool. Yeah, and I do okay with that. But if I'm using straight up wool, a lot of times I'll I'll itch too bad. Okay. Um, or get a rash, especially in real cold stuff. So I, I, I wear like a silk synthetic base layer. And then I had, a, is it the furnace? Furnace. Yeah. The furnace first light base layer. Correct. Um, and then actually something I, 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 and I think you have this problem too, but my feet get, I mean, get cold. Yes. Um, and my feet got cold with what I did. Right. It, well, and actually, this is the warmest my feet have been, but I, I've always used rubber boots. Uh, you told me use rubber boots. Yep. And I do what you say. And my feet were never able to breathe. Yeah. Um, and so I got some uh, some of the Schnee's 600-gram uh, Thensolate boots. Yeah. And... Um, uh, and I use uh, some some powder in there because my feet sweat like foot powder. Yeah, and I use uh, a liner sock, and then uh, I use the darn tough, real thick hunting sock, and I also use like a like an ankle sock. Um, and then I uh, the my feet the f- letting them breathe is huge. Yeah, um, and then I use like this little booty thing. I don't even know what it's called. Um, and would put okay. So yeah, it was a it was a booty that went over your boots correct. once you got in the stand. Yeah, and and you and you pointed out which was true. If I wait till my feet are cold, it's worthless. Yeah, it's too late. So, yeah, so You'll I never I, gain it back. Yeah, and so I put them on the second I got in the stand, and would uh, throw hot hands in there, and that yeah. worked like a charm, man. Yeah. Um, there was times when my feet didn't get cold. Just that, not at all. Yeah. Now that wasn't every time, but it, it but that w- there was times, um, and then so I wore the furnace, and then um, usually I wore the 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 incinerator uh, overalls, Bib, yeah, yeah, bibs the and bibs jacket and the jacket, Sitka, yeah, Sitka. I I'm not supposed to I can't, I can't utter those words. Oh, sorry. You I'm asked me what I wore. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I, I, I can't lie. So I, <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Um, you, you were like hesitating yeah, to say it. Yeah. I was like, am I supposed to make something up here? Um, <laughs> and, and then I, uh, but for my top. No, it's good stuff, man. Yeah. It, you know, it was good stuff. And then I, I it worked. It is a little loud. Um, yeah. And then uh, my top. I wore, uh, I don't, it was first light stuff, but I don't remember. I wore the Cirrus jacket. Cirrus puffy. Yeah. And then, um, oh, that hoodie. Uh, that, yeah, like a Klamath hoodie. Yeah. Or, uh, um, and then also that, 
that one that I also wear. Uh, it's like got the little squares and under. I don't remember. The yeah, name. the yeah. the panel fleece. Or, yeah, or and um, I can't remember what they call it. Grid fleece. Grid fleece. Yeah, and then I wore the incinerator hat. Yeah, and then I, I you know what I really like are those fingerless wool. Uh, first light gloves oh really did yeah. you like those did you wear those yeah fingerless huh yeah well i don't know if that's the correct term what well, is i mean they, okay they, they look like they're fingerless and then i have uh i have a hand warmer a sitka hand warmer and uh i threw some hot hands in there yeah that's the one thing i forgot which and, killed me no and i'm sure it did and then i had a net a sitka net gator yeah um well, how would you rate your warmth I was not in a tree stand. Yeah, so you had the wind off of you. Yeah, and so I did all right. Um, I was in, I I was, you know, we had the gear, um, but I I, I was not doing what you were doing. Um, So I I did all right. There was a few times my feet got cold, but I've been colder in in not as cold weather. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. You know what's funny? I've been texting Brent Reeves and Straight Cedillo. Um, We were in New Mexico two weeks ago, and I was texting them saying, it is three degrees, and I am tree stand hunting in Manitoba. And I am not as cold as I was riding a mule in New Mexico two weeks ago. I got so cold in New Mexico, I thought I was going to pass out. Was that just because you didn't have the gear? Well... I guess. It, it, I think one morning it was 17 degrees, and we were just kind of preparing for an active hunt, so we didn't wear tons of clothes. And it just never got warm that day, and I was so cold. Uh, yeah, there was a time when I actually – it's never happened to me before, but I actually started getting almost nauseous. Were you at higher altitudes? Yeah, we were at like 8,000 feet. That probably had a big part yeah. to do with it too. Yeah, But I said – it's three degrees in Manitoba, and I'm tree stand hunting, taking a 10-mile-per-hour wind in the face, and I'm not as cold as I was in New Mexico 10 days ago. But but, but you stayed you stayed pretty warm with your gear. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, to me, that's the fun of this hunt. There's, there's a challenge inside of just taking the brutal cold. And, and I was hunting out of a tree saddle, a tethered tree saddle, for two afternoons, I guess. And then I tree stand hunted two mornings out of a just a stand. I was in a tree stand once. You were in a tree stand that windy day. Yeah, and so I did okay cold. with that, yeah, except yeah. for my feet because I didn't put on the, the, the booties. booties till my feet got cold. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah. Well, uh, is there anything else we were supposed to talk about, Chris? We kind of had a running list. We wanted to tell the canoe story. We wanted to... Uh, we mainly want to talk about judging deer and talking about your experience up here. But, uh, nah, man, it's been really, really fun hunting with you. And, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do it again, good Lord willing. And people, if they're interested in where we hunted, uh, we, did a, we did a podcast with Tom Ainsworth. Holy mm-hmm. cow, what a guy. Oh, I mean, you, you won't meet a you nicer would, guy. You wouldn't even have to go hunting with Tom to come up here and have a good time. Tom's 71, and he is a classic Canadian, just salt-of-the-earth rancher, hunter, outfitter. It kind of makes you feel bad in the fact it's like, you know, I'm, am I 37 or 38? 
How old are you? Uh, I'm 40. So I I'm turned 40 in September. Yeah, so I'm 38. Um, he, I've, I'm pretty sure the guy could outwork me up. I mean, the guy no is. No doubt. I mean, he, and, you know, we're looking for my deer, and, and I, I would go somewhere, and I would be like, I think this is a good. Now, granted, it's his land, but I would go here, and I'd be like, I think this is a good trail. And I would see a boot print, and Tom's already gone down it. Yeah. He's just a six six lanky yeah. guy without an ounce of fat on him, and he just, you know. He really is in incredible shape. Yeah, and he, I mean, he will just, I mean, he, he doesn't, it takes a lot to get him upset, and he just, you know, he's just always happy, you know. Yep. And a yep. good guy. Well, he. Uh, and he, Deb, she's awesome. Yeah, you, you feel like you're just going to your friend's house and hunting with him for a week. Yeah. Eat at Tom's table home-cooked meals every single meal stay at our own little bunkhouse golly it's just fun there's just no other way to describe it it's not it's not like a wilderness adventure hunt i mean it's just fun there's just yeah. farm country whitetail hunting it's almost like going to yeah you're you're it's almost going like a like a holiday yeah like going home for thanksgiving yeah yeah i, I hate and, that hey, it's going to be a year I, away I, I, I don't necessarily want to say the. well this hunt is cheap yeah I mean, this is a three thousand dollar hunt. Yeah, I'll just say that. I mean, that's what it costs, and, and that's that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for me. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of money for a lot of people. Yeah, um, and but almost anybody, if they set their mind to save up that money, and, and it was right for them, you know, Chris. I, you know, some people like see people that travel and hunt and just assume that maybe that's something that they should do. And, and I don't necessarily think that it is. I mean, there's certain time periods in your life when that's just not in the cards, and that's okay. You know, so if you're 30 years old and building a business and have young kids, I mean, it may not be the time for you to spend $3,000 on a hunt and be gone for nine days. It's a long know. drive, you know. It's yeah. A, yeah. And, and, you know, so I say that to say because sometimes I think people see – I feel it because I I do travel a lot and hunt, but but this is my, you know this this is this is part of my business. This is what I do. This is calculated into my family, and we you know my family's on board with what we're doing and right. And so anyway, I, because I I don't want to throw around a number and say oh three thousand dollars that's easy you could do it. Well maybe you shouldn't do it, but there's a lot of guys that are in a stage of life when that's doable in comparison to a lot of other hunts too it's oh very yeah doable. i think most people think a big canadian white to hunt would be five to seven thousand dollars right and um it's not this is this is a bird nest on the ground to be honest with you and and you know what we're going to cut this out of the podcast because i don't want anybody <laughs> to go you kind of upset me with telling that much yeah <laughs> <laughs> those Chris two bucks upset. that were fighting man they're, they're still out there yeah as of well, right now, they're still there. <laughs> you know what? We want to help Tom because yeah, he sure helped guy. us. Man, what a guy, Deb! I uh, just—it's just so much fun going up there. But uh, you won't be able to go the week that we're going. Yeah, because we'll be there. Yeah. But feel free to come after us. Don't come before us. Yeah. Because we, you know, we kind of need the yeah. pick of the, yeah. of the farm. But uh, nah, Chris, can you think of anything else? Any closing comments? This is your first time on the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast and knowing that there was a Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. This is true. Um, 
I would say, you know, it's, uh, I, I appreciate everything you do, uh, for hunting and everything you've done for me. And, uh, you know, one of the big things I've learned is, you know, one of the big things that you told me is you can't, you know, the best way to get to know a land is, is to hunt it. And, you know, and I find that true and true is, is you've got to hunt it and learn, you know, it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay, but learn from it. Um, and that's, you know, and it, you know, it's, you know, in the medical field, I I don't like it, you know, who people who won't admit that they're, they're wrong or make mistakes. And that's the same thing in anything. It's, you know, say, you know, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. And, you know, here's how we're going to learn from it. And that's, that's the way to do life, I think. And, and that's you know that's my two cents yep well hey appreciate it man this has been a ton of fun so keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears and the big canadian whitetail bucks live <laughs>